RadioInfluence.com. You are sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Sitting Ringside. My name is David Penzer, and as always, we are happy to have you here to listen to this thing we call a podcast. Question, who didn't cross their fingers? Last week, I said fingers crossed. I don't know if somebody didn't cross their fingers or a lot of people didn't cross their fingers. We were very much hoping to have Teddy Hart on this week, and uh, somebody didn't cross their fingers, and... uh, Teddy actually has been in touch, but uh, he has been under the weather. So we're going to uh, we're going to do him another time when he's feeling better. So I uh, hope he feels better. But uh, for those expecting Teddy Hart, unfortunately, uh, the gods, uh, the wrestling gods, did not work out. And it was always a 50-50 proposition, in my opinion, anyway. Uh, but we will get him. Uh, if I have to go to a live event and corner him, he will talk to us. Uh, and, um, or I'll call his dad and, and get, get his dad to make him call me because his dad actually likes me because I helped him, but, uh, uh, hope he feels better. Um, we, uh, have one of my favorite wrestlers of, uh, of my youth on who is, uh, just written an autobiography and has a Kickstarter campaign. I'm talking about Bugsy McGraw. Anybody who grew up in championship wrestling from Florida in the late, 70s early 80s knows that Bugsy uh became one of the biggest other than Dusty Rhodes probably the biggest babyface in the history of championship wrestling from Florida as well as, as far as drawing money I would say I maybe Blackjack Mulligan but uh I'd have to get Barry Rose uh, the historian to to give me his opinion but um but definitely one of the top uh babyfaces and 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 really was a uh I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to him about his character that he came in with and, and into how it evolved into him turning babyface because uh, he was hot and it was unique and it was something different. And uh, I was a huge fan, a huge mark, and I've gotten to know the guy over the, over the years now. And he's a wonderful human being. And if you're interested in the book, uh, there's a Kickstarter campaign uh, going on uh, just about to end. You could just uh, Google Bugsy McGraw, B-U-G-G-S-Y, M-C-G-R-A-W and Kickstarter. And uh, it'll take you right to the campaign and you could buy a copy of the book. Uh, you could buy a special scrapbook, a uh, 210-page scrapbook that only 75 will be printed. And you could also, uh, if you got, if you won the lottery and you got a little extra money, you could uh, purchase an opportunity to have dinner with Bugsy McGraw uh, at the restaurant of your choice, I suppose, here in the state of Florida. So I um, want to mention that uh, next week uh, we are scheduled, and I don't see it to be an issue, to have David Finley on the show, uh, the third-generation wrestler who just joined Ring of Honor. And uh, uh, I knew him when he was four years old, and uh, so it's interesting to now have him on a podcast interviewing him about his life and career because I knew him when he was just a little toddler and uh, still very good friends with his family. So I wish we could get his dad on too, but um, uh, got to talk to somebody in the WWE to make that happen. And so far uh, can't get the right person on the phone, but one day we'll have fit. But uh, until then next week, we're going to have David Finley and uh, he's uh, somebody to look out for as far as the rising talent in this business. Uh, so, between New Japan Pro Wrestling and Ring of Honor and uh, the eventuality that at some point, uh, considering what his father does, you would think that he'll end up in NXT or WWE, although we'll talk to him about that. I don't know that you could call that a certainty, but uh, it, it, it makes sense. Also, uh, going to be talking to somebody I wanted to have on in a couple of weeks uh, for a long time, and we finally lined it up. The Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, uh, is going to be on in just a couple of weeks. So... Uh, looking forward to talking about to Jimmy about his music career and touring with the Beach Boys and Sonny and Cher and breaking into Memphis wrestling and how that all happened. Working with Andy Kaufman, who I'm a to- was a total mark for, and um, uh, really talking to him more about his pre WWF days 
uh, because so much is known about his post-WWF days, but I'm sure he'll have some great stories to tell. So uh, David Finley coming up next week, Jimmy Hart coming up the week after, if all works out, and then uh, we're going to get Teddy Hart on one of these days, and it should be interesting. If you have any ideas of who you'd like to have on the podcast, Please uh, be sure to hit me up on Twitter at David Penzer or at Penzer Ringside. Let me know. Uh, you know, we want we do this for you, and we want to have on people that you think would be interesting. It doesn't have to be a wrestler either. It could be an announcer. It could be somebody behind the scenes, a producer, uh, anybody in the wrestling business that you think would be interesting to hear their story, as we've been telling for about a year and a half now on this podcast. So we thank you for your support. If you haven't subscribed or left a review, uh, be sure to do that. Spread the word. Hit me up on Twitter. And without further ado, one of my childhood heroes who became a friend, and that's so cool to be able to say that, please welcome to City Ringside, Bugsy McGraw. As I mentioned earlier uh, in the opening, uh, this next gentleman to be a guest on city ringside was one of my favorite wrestlers when i was a kid and i even went out and some of you championship wrestling from florida fans will remember will remember this probably three of you out there well i actually went out to the local mall uh and i've told this to my guest and i bought a shirt and you know that back in the days you could buy a you know you had to put like uh letters on and they pressed it and uh so I got a shirt that said Face Reality, uh, which was a shirt that was worn by uh, one of my all-time favorites, and it's an honor that I've gotten to know him, uh, the one and only Bugsy McGraw. Bugsy, welcome to City Ringside. Great to have you. Oh, Ringside. Praise God. It's good then. Yeah. There you I'm go. Glad to be here. So Front row seat. There you go. So before we uh, yeah. before we get to talking, I just want to promote the fact that uh, you have written a book, and it's called Brute Power, the Autobiography of Bugsy McGraw, and you have a Kickstarter campaign going uh, at kickstarter.com. You could just uh, put in Bugsy McGraw Kickstarter. It'll come right up, and uh, a lot of different cool opportunities for people to get autographed copies and, and even uh, – have dinner with you uh, here in uh, the state of Florida. So, uh, so all kinds of cool opportunities. So, we want to plug that. Can't wait for the book to come out for sure. Uh, we want to uh, hear a little bit about the story, but um, I'm sure you can't get through all 320 pages of information in in this interview. So, we'll leave a lot for the book, but hopefully, we could talk a little bit about about your career. It does say, and I, I knew this a little bit. Um, but it does say that uh, as a kid, you had a speech impediment. Tell, tell, tell me about that. Oh, I will. First, just let me say about the book. Oh, yeah, go the, ahead. You know, the, 300, the 320 pages. In the book, there's about, uh, uh, yes, over, so, so over 50 pages, you know, of the photos that show the programs and, and you know, various wrestlers that I wrestled in the ring, out of the ring. There's just a lot of photos. And then if you buy the scrapbook, aha, the scrapbook, there's, 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 over, there's over 500 photos up there from all, uh, yeah, from all, you see, over the world. You know, Japan, Singapore, California, yeah, New York, the Florida, the Canada, you name it. So, you know, they're going to take a real trip all, all over the place. They'll be right beside me. They'll see all the programs, all the posters, all the articles, all the photographs. It's really, uh, yeah, you know, I think it's exciting because that, yeah. You want to ask me about the fact that, you know, when, when I was a child, uh, uh, that I grew up with a speech impediment. Yeah, well, you know, uh, that's that's uh, very true. And you know, uh, yeah, for a long time, I didn't think I had any control of it. And it wasn't until you know, the, this is hard to believe because when I would get on the interview, you know, they'd say, "Okay, uh, we're going to have you on the interview." But once I got on the interview, I hardly ever had a problem. You know what I mean? 
but off of the interview, I could have a lot of problems with speech. And it wasn't until I was in my 50s that I really began to work on it because, you know, uh, uh, well, I became a Christian. And uh, so I accepted Christ you know, as my Savior and my joint heir. And then, you know, with his word, I was working on my, and uh, it uh, really improved. And, well, I'm still working on it now, you know. But, uh, yeah, that's something that I had to overcome, that I had to fight. And, uh, you know, we all have something, I guess, that we have to overcome. But that was one of the things I had to overcome, and uh, that's what I did. Well, God bless you. I saw you grew up in Indiana. Uh uh, tell me about, uh, were you a wrestling fan? And if so, uh, how'd you get involved in the business? Oh, my gosh. Now, that's a story there. Wrestling fan. I was a wrestling fan. I remember I was roughly 14 years old or something like that. The man that lived the second house over from us, he was one of the referees yeah, for the wrestling. And this was 19, roughly 1958 to 1960. You know, up in Indianapolis, Indiana, wrestling was the first time they had it on the television. Right. Oh, dear God, it was hot. I mean, when I say hot, I mean hot. It, they had, you know, like, uh, uh, yeah, the names they had up there, uh, Yukon Eric, uh, The Sheik, uh, yes, the Cowboy Ellis, The Bruiser, um, it's the Wilbur Snyder, the Shire brothers, so Angelo Poffo. Oh, it, it was exciting. So he used to take, uh, uh, his son because his son was roughly you know, my age. He used to take us. Uh, so every so often you had to see the, uh, matches when he was refereeing. And that was such a treat. And it, it, it was exciting. I mean, it was truly exciting. I mean, you saw. Yeah, I mean, you saw some, you know, like the Shire Brothers one time at the Coliseum there, Kelly, in Indianapolis, Indiana. You know, they waited out. They uh, the fans waited out the side for them until until after, you know, until after a four a.m. in the morning because they wanted to kill them. I mean, this was the type of thing it was. It was. I mean, it was like, it was hot. 4 a.m. I've heard some stories, but I've never heard of having to stay in the the uh, the building till 4 a.m. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, so how'd you get? You know, it wasn't as easy as it is now. Obviously, you know, you you, you Google wrestling school, and there's a bunch of them. Uh, some are are good, and some are probably not. Uh, but how how were you able to get involved back in a time where uh, it was a lot harder? Yeah, that's very true. Because you know they didn't. You know they didn't. It was hard to find anyone to train you. So uh, actually, so that's what happened. I went, to, I went to college at Purdue, and then I graduated. Then after the college, I went to law school. But after about a year, I dropped out and I came back home because I decided I wanted to play professional sports. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to be in wrestling or if I wanted to play football. But so I decided on wrestling, and you know, uh, you know, just. I can't recall all the details, but I found a man, one of the wrestlers that was actually working for the Sheik up in Detroit. His name was Tom Jones, and he helped to train me. And, you know, uh, then then he finally, uh, uh, he took me up yeah, to meet the Sheik in Detroit, you know, at um, uh, yes, Cobo Hall. Yes, sir. And then. And that's how I began. Yeah, the Sheik, you know, he looked at me the first time. I wasn't sure about him because I wasn't smart. You know what I mean? And, I mean, I looked at the Sheik, he looked at me, and I thought, oh, I hope he doesn't go crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that had to be that had to be intimidating. Here's a guy that, I mean, uh, you know, his his gimmick is that he's literally nuts, and he throws fire and, 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 and cuts people open with forks, and you're not smart to the business. Oh, yeah, and, and, does, and they say... And when, you know, they walk in, lazy. Uh, oh, hey, uh, uh, Mike Davis, uh, meet meet the Sheik. That had to be a little bit intimidating. What did the Sheik say? Was he in character still? 
Well, just a little bit. You know, he kind of looked at me because, you know, he said, hey, boy, I hear you want to wrestle. So I said, yes, sir. (laughs) Yes, sir, I do. (laughs) So, you know, he was, um, uh, he he was really congenial. Uh, I really liked the Sheik. You know, there were, you know, there were a few people that didn't, you know, they didn't uh, like the Sheik, but I did. I and he had me at his house before. I used to sleep at his house and all of that. You know him. You know I liked him. Yeah. Uh, so he, uh, uh, yes, yeah, so he was a good man. But you know he was not to be, uh, like. <laughs> One time we're in Japan together, and yeah, we got to talking, and you know, so yeah, he showed me one time. Uh, the yeah, the inside of his trunks and inside of his trunks, he had all these weapons. I'm serious. He had a bunch of them. <laughs> like so sewn in? Tried, like sewed in? Huh? Like sewed into his trunks? In. Wow. Yeah, they're taped in. Or they're, yeah. So, you know, like, I mean, if one of the fans was to jump on him, sure. you can count on the fact that they're going to get hurt <laughs> real bad and real quick. Yeah, that's just the way it works with the Sheik, yeah. Uh, and then also, too, you know, when, yeah, when I began, that was, that was in 1968, you know, and I was in Detroit at uh, this Cobble Hall. And the Sheik, you know, I mean, he was, uh, yeah, he always drew money, you know what I mean? But the fans hated him, I mean, with a passion. So he had his own police force, you know what I mean, that would protect him. And I mean, one time I'm out there watching <laughs> this one fan goes running and jumps over the police and then he jumps in the ring. Oh, dear God. That was a huge mistake. <laughs> they dragged him out of the ring. They dragged him up the hall. And then they had him in this other room all alone. And you could hear him scream. They were just <laughs> beating the dog crap out of him. I mean, you could hear him scream and scream. I mean, they were... <laughs> They were working him over. You did the wrong thing. You jumped on the sheik. Yeah. <laughs> I saw the yeah, sheik. He paid a price. Yeah, I saw the sheik uh, wrestle a few times here in Florida when it, when I was pro- he was probably yeah. in his mid sixties, and his character. I wouldn't imagine that anybody would be brave enough, even in his mid sixties, to to run in the ring and try to get mess with him. So I can't even imagine in the heyday what somebody was thinking trying to. I mean, he just he 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 legitimately came off as a madman, and uh, and and you know he had all like you said all the gimmicks in his uh, in his trunks and the forks and the the, the the pencil and and you know the fire and all that stuff. It was crazy. Uh, I can't imagine why anybody. Yeah, you're would, right. He had the forks and the pencil. I can't imagine why anybody would you know maybe you know, razors. <laughs> yeah, razor, maybe liquid courage. I guess uh, does it every time. But uh, yeah, that could be yeah, because it, it it was something. Because I watched this guy; he went running and jumped over those cops, and he jumped in the ring, and they caught him just as he was entering the ring, and they dragged him out. But the sheik, you know, when he saw him, boy, he charged him because because he had something in his hand. He was going <laughs> I himself, he you know, he wouldn't go to that's uh, a waste of any time. But, you know, sure, yeah, but you know that. That was an era, and I just like to say with the book, you know, when when the people read about an era from the late 60s through the 70s, the 80s, and the first of the 90s, that was an era of profession again. It was, a, it, it was truly exciting. Uh, it, was, it, it was tough. It was hard, uh, uh, but it was entertaining, and yeah, it, it 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 was an era that, you know, you won't ever see again. You won't see that kind of wrestling again. It was truly really something. It was, uh, you know, I mean, you uh, at that time, if you were on the road as a professional wrestler, you had to be a, you had to be a real trooper. I mean, otherwise you wouldn't do it. I mean, I used to tell younger guys all the time. You know, years ago, I said, this is the type of life that if you don't really enjoy it. You're going to hate it. Right. And that was the truth. I mean, that was the absolute truth. You, you know, like now, you know, they have a lot of contracts 
uh, you know, they have health insurance. Uh, uh, they have, you know, yeah, they, yeah, they fly you everywhere. Uh, you know, on and on and on. You, it, 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 it just seems now. You know, they have a lot of uh, uh, prima donnas and. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't think I like this. You know, back then, you know, you know, when you had a, a uh, patch, okay, you go in the ring and you do it. That's it. Period. You do it. You do what what they told you to do or else they sent you packing. So I I didn't know about you, obviously, until you showed up in Florida with this unique character. Um, But uh, from, uh, doing some research for this interview and also looking a little bit on your uh, Kickstarter page. It looks like you really, uh, uh, from 68 to 78, I guess, before you showed up in Florida, uh, you really uh, went all over the world. Uh, some of the places I see are Tri-State Wrestling, uh, Vancouver, AWA, San Francisco, Australia, Japan, and WWF. I know you did have a main event in Madison Square Garden in WWWF against um, uh, Bruno yeah, San Martino. Yeah. Was, yeah. That, was that the highlight of those 10 years? If not, what was the best time you had, you know, being just going from territory to territory, I guess, uh, and, and wrestling? Well, yeah. I mean, as far as wrestling, Bruno, San Martino, I mean, it's like I didn't know. Well, now that's another story. I'll tell you about it now, right? Because... Bruno at that time, you know, in that era, and also that, you know, that, you know, that part of the country, he was called the living legend, and he was. Yes. And this guy was truly strong, really strong. And in shape, I mean, when I say in shape, I mean not just great shape, I mean fantastic shape. And I had heard about him, you know. Yeah, uh, but I uh, but I also heard, you know, that he, uh, that he had a lot of character. You know, he had integrity. But I had heard all these things, so I go in the ring, and so I'm headed in the ring out of the dressing room, and I'm getting prepared the uh, before this the whole day, because I think, well, I've here he's really strong, he's really in fantastic shape, and I'm thinking, well, I'm really strong. I can press. <laughs> I can press I can press over I can press over 500 pounds uh, so yeah so anytime I want to and I'm in shape I can go so I'm walking in the ring and I'm thinking I'm gonna blow him up I'm gonna show him who's the boss tonight he's in for it man we get in that ring and we and I took it to him too I mean I really took it to him up and down up and down bang 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 oh over, under, everything, right? Then one time I'm in one corner, I'm on my knees, and I look across the ring. He's in the other corner, and he's dancing, <laughs> dancing. And I'm thinking, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I get up, I get up, and I charge him, boy, and we go at it again. He was in great shape, boy. I mean, I tried to do everything I could to blow him up. And that man kept on coming, you know, yeah. Uh, he was something. Did you realize at the time, I think it was in the early 70s, did you realize at the time what an honor uh, wrestling in Madison Square Garden would become? Uh, was that apparent uh, back in those days, or was it later on that it became something that was like on every wrestler's bucket list of things to do? Well, yeah, you know, it just like, yeah, so some of both, I mean, Everybody wanted to, if not only just wrestling in the garden, but the you know the big, um, what do you say, the uh, the thing you wanted to do was to have the uh, main event in the garden, you know, right. right, and to say and to say that you sold it out, and 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 I'm able to say that. And the other thing with that too, now you have to realize that I wrestled him at the first, the first week of September, so 1975. And I don't know if you know this or not, but wrestling back then, and I'm sure it's roughly the same now. Wrestling back then, you know, 
it all depended on the finances. And then, uh, uh, this was September would come, and that's when the kids, you know, you know, the family with the children. Right. So they had to they had to send them back to school. They had to pay the fees. They had to buy the books. They had to buy the clothes. That's when usually the houses would just really drop off bad, you know? Right. But this was September, and we had a sellout. Wow. And, and, I, and I remember that uh, Vince McMahon Sr. was really happy with it. You know? Really who, happy. Who was your manager up there? I know that uh, most of the heels that wrestled uh, San Martino and then Backlund later on and uh, had managers. Uh, who was your manager? Lou Albano. Oh, Captain wow. Captain Lou, see? See, at that time when I wrestled Bruno, they said, they, you know, they, uh, they called it a handicap because I could have Lou uh, so he could wrestle, you know. But, you know, like, you know, he, he didn't really want to uh, wrestle Bruno, you know what I mean? But they called it a handicap, so I could have him on the apron, and if I wanted to, I could tag him, but I hardly ever tagged him, because, you know, uh, uh, yeah, he was afraid of Bruno, you know? <laughs> yep, yeah, and an and interesting uh, tidbit of, of that most people may not know, or a lot of people may not know, that back in those days, and in, in, I don't know about the whole territory, but I do know in Madison Square Garden, the manager normally didn't stay at ringside. The manager just accompanied uh, his team or his, his wrestler out to the ring. And then when the match started, they went, went, went back to the back. So uh, having the manager uh, out there at the time uh, uh, was a special thing. Not, you know, these days, uh, you know, every manager stays at ringside. It's, it's, it's like, you know, waking up in the morning. It's, it, it's, it's that common. But, uh, but back then uh, the manager went back, he was just the mouthpiece to sell the tickets. And then he, he went back to, to the uh, to the dressing room, so that's that's an interesting yeah. tidbit. Well, yeah, but there's something else here that you might not know. That's what you said, though, is very true. They didn't keep the managers out there, uh-uh, uh-uh, because back then, this is 1975, right? Back then, you know, the crowds could get rowdy real quick. I right. mean, real quick. And back then, in the 70s, when you had the main event, say you're in the garden. This happened all the time at the garden. Every time he wrestled at the garden, and say uh, at the garden, there you know they'd have a card or say roughly, that's a nine to ten matches. Right. You, the main event went on roughly, roughly fourth, or yeah, or a fifth. Yeah, sort of in the middle. Because, yeah, because they wanted to get you out of there because they didn't want to have a riot outside. Because they've had that happen a few times. So you went on about the fourth or fifth, and then they told you, have a shower and leave. <laughs> yeah, they tell you that. Have a shower now and leave. You know, they didn't want you on till at the end. You know, because they, uh, they, uh, they usually had some problems, you know, with the crowd outside. And they'd be trying to start trouble, not throwing rocks and they're turning over cars. You know, that happened before, see? Sure. So, that, that, yeah. So. That's interesting because I did know that the main event went on in the middle of the show, and I had no I just thought that was a Vince uh, senior quirk. I had no idea the reason behind it. So, uh, and that makes a lot of sense because uh, you get, you get you know, if, if the crowd's probably going to have less chance of rioting if they got five more matches to see, and then you could get the, the heels, uh, the main event guys out of the building before the show is over. I never, never realized that. That's a, that's, that's a yeah. cool, cool little tidbit that uh, it kind of makes yeah, sense. Yeah, they tell you that. Kind of makes sense. They'd, yeah, they tell you that. Have a shower and leave. Cool. So, <laughs> a lot of uh, people who wrestled back then, who I saw you wrestled in Australia, I'm assuming for Jim Barnett, uh, talk about it as the best territory they, they ever wrestled in. Was that the same for you? Yeah, Jim Barnett, yeah, well, you know, he was kind of unusual, you know. Uh, I knew Jim. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, you knew Jim Barnett? Yeah, when I was breaking into WCW, he was still there and it was one time he uh, was in charge of syndicated television sales, and uh, I, I had lived in Fort Lauderdale, but I was driving Talon up to the uh, 
the TV tapings. And so when he came into Fort Lauderdale because, you know, he couldn't drive, he was legally blind, I guess. Uh, they had me pick him up and take him out for the day to all his meetings. So I got to know him a little bit. Interesting character for sure. Yeah. 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 You know, working for Jim, uh, cause I work for Jim, uh, when was that year? I think, uh, the first time, so 1970 or something, it was the first time I, I went overseas. I also worked for him. We went to Hong Kong, we went to Singapore and we went to Malaysia. And, you know, he, uh, as, as a promoter, I gotta say, you know, that he, you know, he, yeah, he protected you because over there back then, you know, it could get seriously wild in a real hurry. And I remember one time we're in Malaysia and, and yeah, they brought out the army because we needed them. You know oh, what I mean? I mean, you, we needed the army with the guns, the rifles and all of the stuff because otherwise those spans would have killed us dead. Oh yeah. Cause without them there, it was like, Hmm. I mean, they're, you know, they're pure savvy. <laughs> yeah. Um, Bob, Bob, Bob Roop, who we'll talk to one of these days, who I know, you know, uh, he has, he's writing a book right now as well about his time. Uh, he wrestled in the main event in Iran or Iraq, one of the two countries against like the, the, the most popular wrestler in whatever country it was. And they literally had to have the, uh, uh, an entire army between the ring and the fans. And he thought that he would never get out alive. So I'm interested in reading both of the, your book and his book as well, but, uh, especially in other countries, they didn't mess around, especially if you were fighting, uh, one of their countrymen, uh, you know, they took, they were very proud of that. So yeah, I imagine yeah, that could be it. any other, yeah, they take the yeah any other memories of, any other memories of Australia with Jim Barnett and that territory? Australia. Well, you know, I mean, overall, I enjoyed it over there. Uh, yeah. I, when I first went there, I mean, it's, you know, I could tell you a whole lot of stuff, but I came in and I, you know, I, I hadn't been wrestling all that long, you know, and yeah, he brought me in, but at that time he wasn't sure if he was going to close, um, you know, to close the territory or not. So when I came in, uh, I became the man. I mean, they put the whole entire load right on me wow. right now. So I was wrestling Mario Milano a lot. I don't know if you heard of him. Or not. Yes, I have. So he and I were wrestling all over the country and, you know, the houses, they started to come up and then they brought in, uh, uh so Carl Cox and he, uh, yeah, he was a real talent, you know, I mean, he was a great worker and then other guys, they, yeah, they began, you yeah, had to come in and then the territory just really popped and it was good. You know, we were having a good time there, you know, it was a good time and, we're making money. <clears throat> so, you know, I mean, everybody was usually happy. And uh, I was just, uh, you know, I didn't, you know what? I was young and green still, you know what I mean? Sure. And, and I didn't really know how to handle uh, uh, Jim Barnett that well. But I was, uh, so, so I, I was a tag partner for, um, you know, for Carl Cox. And Carl, he knew how to handle Jim very well. <laughs> so I'd walk, I'd walk right behind Carl. And any time he said anything, I'd go, yep, that's right. <laughs> there you go. What I, I wouldn't say anything else. But that's how i go. Yeah, he's right. What he said. Now, I saw you come in uh, to championship wrestling from Florida. I was 13 years old. I was one of these guys that was uh, more about, uh, I was more character driven, which was unusual. You know, I didn't go to the matches and necessarily root for the baby faces and, 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 and boo the heels. Uh, and I wasn't smart at all, but uh, I just was uh, more fascinated by the characters. Now, the character that you played uh, in Florida, had you ever done that in any other territory before, or was this the first time that you were doing that character? It was the first time 
I do believe, yeah. And and yeah. and explain. Just, uh, you can explain the character a lot better than I I, I can. It was uh, uh, some people, and we'll ask you later if there's any truth to this. But some people have speculated that the character of Bray Wyatt was actually based on on the character you played uh, in in his promos uh, in WWE was based. And I will ask you about that later if you don't mind. But uh, very similar type promo skill. Um, so tell tell me about a little bit about. I'm assuming you came up with that character. Yeah. So what yeah, was not the, the name, but uh, but the character, yeah. And what was the thought process in your mind behind that character? Oh well, just oh man, well that gets involved now. You know, first of all, you got to be in, in professional wrestling, and actually, all in other many other things too. You. You know, you, you want to be successful. Okay, that's fine. You know, it's one thing to want to be successful. It's something else to prepare yourself you know, to be successful. Two separate things, really. Sure. So, you know, I wanted to create a character, you know, that could be really believable and that was, uh, you know, that, that was something that was, that was not ever seen before. And they could, you know, for one thing, if, if if they think you're crazy. So when I was working as a heel, I would also work kind of crazy, you know. Yeah, yeah. And if they and 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 if people think you're crazy, believe me, you know they're frightened of you. So then, you know, after after I made the switch and I became the good guy, the baby face. And they thought, oh, boy, now he's going to really kick ass. So that's one thing. You know what I mean? You just um, you learn to do things that set yourself apart. The other thing I used to have people tell me, and they didn't understand this, because it, 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 uh, they'd go, oh, yeah, you get in the ring and you try to, and you try to be your, you try to be, you try to be funny. No, I don't. I never tried to be evil. I never tried to be funny. What I did, I worked off of a simple principle. This is so simple that most individuals, they didn't understand it. I, and the principle is this. It's called action and reaction. That's all it is. Right. That's what I worked off of. I, would, I never tried to be funny. I worked off of that principle, off of, off of that, off of that principle, action and reaction. Oh yeah, yeah. Your character wasn't crazy like the sheet crazy though. The character was uh, like like almost like Charles Manson crazy. You know, rambling and about uh, you know the nether regions of the mind and face reality and 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 uh, it was. To, I was I. I thought I, I, maybe it's because my dad's a shrink. I don't know, but I just, <laughs> I, I just fell in love with the character. Like I said, uh, uh, I had I went out to the mall and got a face reality T-shirt. I wish I still had it. I'd have you sign it, and hang it up in my office, but uh, yeah. doesn't fit me anymore if it's still out there. But I must have thrown it away. Uh, the baby face turn, if I remember correctly, it was against the Russians, and uh, it's a slow build, like they like. Uh, they they used to do, uh, which is a lost art, in my opinion. And uh, you finally turned against the Russians and sort of took the USA side with the flag. Is is, it, is my memory correct? Because it's well, not always. Well, it, it wasn't the Russians. It was just only one. It was Nikolai Volkov. Okay. And he was, you know, he uh, you know he looked the part. He was tall, big, so muscular. He looked the part. Oh yeah, and you know when I turned on him. It worked because they, you know, before they used to have us, a lot of times he and I were tag team partners when we were heels. And then when I finally turned on him, it just got over because that's the same time that they had, you know, you know, the hockey game right. where uh, the U.S. Yeah, uh, beat Russia in the. Yeah, yeah. In the Olympics. And they, and they thought that was impossible, see, yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't. But anyway, it, it just all it, it just all clicked, and it went very very well, you know. And then I was able to work with 
Oh, with whoever, you know, because I got over. I was, I got over very well. Was there? <laughs> it's an interesting question because I have such respect for both of of you. But Dusty Rhodes had pretty much had the territory as the top babyface for five, six years at that point, and there wasn't anybody close to the kind of character that he played because uh, everybody else that was close were real legitimate wrestlers, amateur wrestlers, Mike Graham, uh, the Briscoes, uh, Steve Kern, and, and you were a different kind of babyface for this territory. Uh, was there any animosity at all with, uh, with Dusty uh, because uh, how over you got or he, he, he was cool? Well, you have to understand, you know, also for the first couple of years I was there you know he uh, he was the booker right and he's all for you know making money right but when he thinks you're a real threat to his popularity then because he's in charge he does little things uh, you got to try to you got to try to bring it down so, so uh, yeah, you were definitely a threat to his popularity back in those days, uh, for sure. Um, why did you? Why did you? Is that the reason why you left the territory? Oh no, I wouldn't say that because he had, uh, you know, he had already left, uh, and I don't know where he went at that time. But you know, he left about about a year earlier, I think, because I was there for three years in a row. Right, and then, and then I went on from there to Texas. Yeah, that's my that was my next question. Uh, right when the Von Erichs were getting hot, uh, what are your memories yeah. of those times? Because uh, uh, you know that was right when, like, like like I said, right when the Von Erich family became teen teen idols in that area. So how was that? Yeah, they, yeah, they were, yeah, yeah, they, uh, you know, they, yeah, they did well. They drew well, but I went in as a heel. And then they they knew that I had success. You know, I had success in Florida before right. when I switched. So they wanted to switch me. And I said, yeah. And then, <laughs> this is good. You know, um, you know the spoiler? Yeah, Don Jardine. Don Jardine. Well, he was there at that time in Texas. And I made the switch, right? And it got over, got over big, hot, you know? So one time we're in the dressing room, and he says to me, he says, once you outdraw the Von Erics, you will go lower on the card immediately. He was right. <laughs> I was assuming that would be the case. So it's really ironic. So you, you go from uh, the the two biggest territory, two territories where you probably had your biggest success, uh, and you both face, and you, in both of those territories, you faced uh, issues with, uh, you know, in one case the Booker, and the other case the family, because uh, uh, you know there could only be one top guy, quote unquote, and uh, and if you're the Booker or the owner, then. Uh, then you want to be the top guy. Was there any indication, because you're a smart guy, was there any indication at the time uh, that the, uh, of the tragedy that would, in, in, uh, you know, that would be the Von Erich family? Oh, indication. It was in your face. Oh, really? Oh, my God. You know, that was a sad thing because those kids were on drugs heavy-duty drugs, and they come into the dressing room high. One time, we're, we're wrestling, we're, we're wrestling in, wrestling in, um, yeah, Fort Worth at the Coliseum. And Chris was the youngest one. Uh, yeah, he was only, uh, yeah, 12 years old yeah, at that time. And they got him so high one time that he went up to the concession stand and he passed out on the floor there at the concession stand. Did, yeah. did, did Fritz not have any control or was he just blind because he was a you know, blind parent trying to, uh, to, he didn't want to see what was before him or did he just have no control over the boys? 
Because I'll tell I'll tell you this: if I had older yeah. kids and they got my twelve year old that high, then there'd be there'd be a reckoning in my family. So I I I. I to me, either he didn't care, Fritz, or he just didn't have any control. And I'm curious which one it was. Well, I think, you know, overall, I think they tried to hide it. But also, you know, he didn't want to see it. I don't think he wanted to see it. Blindness. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And because he could be, uh, from what I could see, he could be harsh. But, you know, I mean, but all of those kids were using drugs. I mean, um, Kevin and Carrie. Um, that's, that's, yes, Chris, that's Michael. I mean, they were all using drugs, but yeah. it was obvious. One time I go to a spot show there, I don't know, you know, in Texas and, and I showed up, the show was at, at eight o'clock. And so I showed up at roughly seven forty. I was a little bit late, you know? And I and, and I come in the dressing room and there's Terry, uh, Von uh, Eric, and he's sitting there. So I'm walking in with my suitcase, and and he looks at me right, and he goes, "Hey man," uh, he said, "Who'd you wrestle?" <laughs> I said, "What?" I said, "What?" He thought. <laughs> He was so high. He thought I, I had already wrestled. <laughs> they have. <laughs> yeah, hey man, hey, who did you wrestle? On? I just got here. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's the type of thing that you know. I mean, that was all the time. Yeah, I mean, I've heard the stories as well, but it's such a tragedy when you look back. An entire family pretty much wiped out, except for one one left standing. Uh, uh, yeah. So I was eager. I was eager to get your input. You came back. You you had a brief uh, stop in Jim Crockett Promotions, where I, we uh, just wanted to mention you uh, were on the first Starcade ever, which is so you wrestled Madison Square Garden. You're on the first Starcade ever. That's a couple of bucket list things. Um, uh, you actually got to work with Jody Hamilton and the Assassins. Who's, who's uh, uh, without yeah. without Jody, I don't know that I'd ever have gotten in this business. And uh, uh, he's been on this show before. Is I'm sure you'll agree, he's a great guy. Uh, you come back to Florida, approximately 1985, right in the middle of an angle where the Freebirds turned heel by uh, on Mike Graham by uh, trashing Eddie Graham, who like. Not only like a month before Eddie Graham, who who for people who don't know is a legend in the state of Florida, not only in the ring but as uh, you know community uh, organizer, community person, uh, very involved in in Florida Sheriff Boys Ranch and all that kind of stuff, and um, and they insulted Eddie, uh, who had just committed suicide like a month earlier, and it at the time it was a very controversial angle. Uh, because of you know trying to figure out if, if that was in bad taste or not, I'm wondering what you thought about the angle because you were involved when you came back, and do you think it went too far? Uh, well, you know, honestly, I, I don't recall that. I don't. I'm not sure I was here then. You came in like the week after the angle. I thought they. I think Mike brought you back to be his tag team partner. Uh, but they had oh, done. Okay. They had done an angle where the Freebirds were were uh, good good guys, and then they turned on Mike and called and said, "Your dad's a loser because he killed himself." Basically, and Mike went nuts and and uh, they beat him down. The three of them. But uh, so you don't remember that uh, that angle. Uh, right now, I don't. Maybe. <laughs> so maybe I'm having a lapse of there you go. memory here. I don't know. But, based uh, on I, based on what you knew about Eddie Graham in the state of Florida, do you think that that's something that was off, uh, out of bounds or do you think that's just a wrestling angle and you play off what you what, what life gives you? Oh boy. Now, you know, honestly, that's that's a hard question to answer. Um, I, you know, um, Hmm. Uh, to tell you the truth, I I'd have to think about that. I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like for Mike, you know, that's his 
father. Right. And in one respect, you know, you use what you have. The other respect is, you know, uh, you want to honor your father also. So, you know, it, it could go either way. I don't know. Sure. I'll try to find it on YouTube and see if I could get it to you somehow. There is video of the angle. Uh, you had a, a, a angle at one point with Rip Rogers. Uh, and the reason I bring that up isn't because maybe, maybe not your most famous, but Rip was on the show on this podcast and, uh, and he was talking about, he proudly talked about the, uh, the, the matches with you because he said that, uh, at the time, all the other matches from the top of the card to the bottom of the card were blood and guts and, 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 and street fights and that you guys just went out and entertained. And he was proud that you guys didn't have to do what everybody else did to entertain the crowd. And that he said that what you guys did got uh, got so really over with the crowd because it was different than everything that they were saying repetitively. Uh, do you have any memories of that? Yeah, I do, actually. Yeah. And, and, and- and that's uh, that's exactly what we did. Actually, you know, we tried to separate ourselves, you know, from the other wrestlers, yeah, the other matches, yeah. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah, he was very proud of that. When did you realize that this uh, championship wrestling from Florida Territory was doomed? Oh, I don't know. It's like, you know, in the 80s there, let me think, um, I know, you know, I when I when I left the road, and and I went back to school uh, to become a nurse, and they 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 called me up and they wanted me to wrestle uh, for them, and I said I would, uh, so off and on. But you know, I, but I but my my priority at that time was my education but I wrestled for them then and I could see you know that they you know they were you know they were drawn some but not all that well wrestling had changed you know because this is back ni- so 1988 or so uh, wrestling had changed you know what I mean and so now this, it, 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 it was harder to draw money with um, uh, that kind of promotion because they they were comp- they were competing uh, all against Vince uh, McMahon. Yeah, on a national level for sure. Um, talking about becoming a nurse, when did you realize it was uh, uh, around that time? Did you was it because of Vince and going national that you realized that it was maybe time to find another another uh, avenue to to make well, a living uh, at? Oh, here's what the uh, uh, the real situation over this is. Uh, back in, uh, before I went back to school, uh, the early part of 88, I, I decided, you know, that I wanted, you know, like I wanted to go back into wrestling, but I knew the only real place to make money was working for Vince McMahon. You know, right. we, uh, when I was wrestling up there before, we called him Junior. Right. You know, the Vince McMahon that you know, yeah, we called him Junior. Uh, but anyway, so I got myself in excellent shape. I, I was working out. So I went down when they had the matches in Tampa. So I went down to see, uh, you know, Pat Patterson. Right. Because at that time, Pat Patterson was the, um, the number two man all in the company. Right. And I knew him from San Francisco when I was wrestling there. So I went to see Pat and I said, Pat, so I got a chance to see him. I said, Pat, I, so I have myself in shape. Oh, I've lost weight, and I'm looking good, and I'd like to come to work, you know, for your organization. And he looked at me and goes, I mean, he actually got excited at first. He goes, oh, yeah, this will work great. He said, you'll fit right in here. I said, oh, man, I got, you know, I thought, well, that's good. I said, <laughs> He said, so you phone me Monday up at the office. He said, I'll set this up. We'll get it done. So, you know, uh, I wait until Monday. And so then I call and I ask for Pat. Oh, he's not available. So I call Tuesday. Uh, he's not available. So I call Wednesday. He's not available. Then I wait a week and I call again. 
Uh, we're sorry. Uh, he's not, uh, so he's not available. So I could see there was something wrong. I don't know what happened, but you know, he, um, you know, he never helped me out at all. So, uh, you decided most, uh, most wrestlers, unfortunately, they just keep wrestling, you know, outlaw shows and indie shows. Cause that's all they know. Uh, you were smart enough to, 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 uh, find another occupation, uh, what was there a part of you that still wanted to keep going the wrestling or did you just sit down and look at yourself in the mirror and say, you know, I got to make a change. Well, I knew I had to make a change because I wanted to survive and I wanted to survive. Well, so, you know, I wanted to have an occupation that I could depend on. And at that time, person was one that you could depend on because there, there was always a shortage. Yeah. And still is. so, you know, yeah. So, uh, how was it to go from somebody who's traveled the world, who's a huge baby face, gets a big reaction every night to just getting up every morning and going to work as a nurse? Is that, is that hard to make that, uh, change in your life? Well, uh, you, you might say all in a few ways, you know, cause you're working with individuals there that, you know, was, you know, that they think they know something about life and they think they've done this and they've done that. And you look at them like, you ain't done anything. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, forget it. No, but uh, I was also wrestling, I would say for about the first uh, 10 to 12 years. You see, that would be about right now. I was wrestling locally. Yeah, just in Florida, I'd be wrestling between one, one to three times a month. Uh, but I was still wrestling for local promoters. Yeah, I remember I when... Enjoyed that. Uh-huh. I enjoyed that. I remember uh, uh, one of my favorite wrestling stories is uh, uh, after... You remember the Global Wrestling Alliance down in South Florida, right? Right. Uh, Dr. Red Roberts and Bob Roop. That's how I broke in the business. And after um, after the the company folded, me and Bob bought the ring, and uh, had an uh, we were doing uh, paid shows at flea markets and stuff. And we had an offer to do uh, uh, weekly shows. I think in Hollywood, Florida, at the uh, Armory. It was it was it was definitely the Armory, and. Uh, I remember we booked you uh, against Dr. Red Roberts in a c- couple of couple of uh, rematches, and one of the rematches was a loser eats a bug uh, a cockroach match. I don't do you, I don't know if you have ever any memory of this because you didn't have to eat the cockroach, but I can remember before the show we're out. Me and Bob are out, and Bob Roop is a legitimate shoot wrestler who's been all around the world and could have made the Olympics, uh, uh, you know. And and he's out there in the field next to the armory looking for a cockroach, and he's looking at me going, "This is what my career has come down to." I'm in a field looking for a cockroach for Bugsy McGraw's match to, uh, against uh, Dr. Red Roberts, one of my favorite um, stories ever. But, yeah, you did. And, um, actually, uh, I promoted one show, and I, I'm looking at the flyer now. Uh, in, uh, uh, it was in Davie, Florida. I promoted a show uh, for the Mental uh, Health Association of Broward County because my dad was a psychologist, and it was you and – Red Roberts against a team called Death Row in the main event, and uh, I have the poster hanging in my office as we speak. Aha! Very so, that's good. I like yeah. that. So, uh, one last question for you, and then I'll let you go. Um, well, two questions: Did any? How often did people recognize you when you were a nurse and say, "Hey, I, aren't you Bugsy McGraw? Weren't you a wrestler?" Yeah, that would happen sometimes, you know, uh, but. More often, that would happen on the street, right? And I, one of the things that I uh, that I was impressed with, you know, for years, because years after, because uh, you know, when I was really popular, really hot, was the early '80s, and uh, uh, 1979, 1980s, 1981. You know, right. years after, I would have people walk up to me, and they would know who I was. And they could quote, I, I'm not exaggerating this, they could quote one of my interviews, word for word. Probably back then I could have done so as well, but uh, 
uh, uh, I've done a lot. I've traveled a lot of roads and uh, been to a lot of bars since then. So my memory is not what it used to be. But, uh, but uh, back then, I probably could have as well. I was, uh, I was a, like I said, a huge fan. And uh, it was uh, an honor to get to know you uh, uh, later in, in my life. And um, uh, actually got inducted into the uh, Legends Lunch, uh, which is, as you know, you're a big part of. It's a uh, four times a year uh, event that they have for wrestlers um, in Tampa, and they actually inducted me. And you were there, and I got you're the only one I got a picture with with my plaque, uh, and uh, and so that was important. Yeah. To me. So yeah, uh, I remember I, that. Yeah, I thank you for I, that. I remember uh, that. Ladies and gentlemen, the book is called Brute Power, the Autobiography of Bugsy McGraw. And like Bugsy said earlier, uh, there's only going to be 75 copies of a 210-page hardcover scrapbook that Bugsy will uh, autograph. And once those are gone, they are gone, and um, uh, they'll be shipping next month. I think think there's... uh, uh, under 50 left so uh, go on to Kickstarter all you got to do is Google Kickstarter Bugsy McGraw and uh, uh, and you'll see the Kickstarter page and uh, you know you could just uh, get the book you get an autograph copy or you uh, you know as you know the way Kickstarter works folks uh, it's all the way up to uh, if you got a lot of money uh, and you want to eat dinner with Bugsy McGraw and chat about his uh, his career uh, there's a there's an option for that too. Hey Bugsy, uh, as I said, big fan. Uh, always wanted to have you on the podcast. Uh, best of luck with the book, and thank you so much for your time. Well, I thank you, young man. You know, I mean, every time I see you, you know, I really well. I consider you a friend. I like you, yes. and and I'm, and and I'm just I'm just uh, yes. glad that. But I was able to have a chance to be on your podcast. And, uh, uh, you know, the only thing I want to say here now is that when they read my book. Oh, I will. Go, oh, well, I mean, you and everybody. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it's like the, it, you'll go through an era, you know, like I say, the, the late 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and, uh, and the first of the 90s. You're going through you know, a history of professional wrestling that you've never read before. You're going to hear about the fights inside the ring, outside the ring. You know, in the office, you're going to hear about riots. You're going to hear about, you know, the women. You're going to hear about all kinds of stuff you never knew before. I guarantee it. So... All right, my friend. And and one of the cool th- one of the cool things yeah. about uh, you know I appreciate you calling me a friend, and I consider you the same. And it's one of the cool things about the life that I've gotten to live is it's not very often you get to become friends with so many of your childhood heroes. So thank you so much for all the entertainment that you gave to me and uh, everybody else, and uh, uh, appreciate your time again. And I wish you a ton of luck with the book. And I guess I'll see you at the next Le- Legends lunch, hopefully, God willing. Amen. We'll see you there. I want to thank Bugsy McGraw, ladies and gentlemen, for hopping on, especially with short notice since Teddy Hart's under the weather. And um, want to remind you to go to kickstarter.com, put in Bugsy McGraw with two Gs, and uh, you could buy an advanced copy of Brute Power uh, and be able to buy his book, uh, autographed copy or no autographed copy, or you could even buy the scrapbook along with it. Only 75 copies remain, but I want to thank him. I wish he remembered that angle uh, with the Freebirds. That's uh, the one question that uh, he didn't didn't have any memory of that I had on my list, and I wish he would have remembered that. Maybe I'll sh- if I could uh, get it on YouTube and send it to him, and, and if he remembers about it, maybe uh, we could get him back just as a one-off uh, for one question, and he could elaborate about that a little bit more other than that uh great great stuff want to thank bugsy uh reminder that uh next week david finley scheduled to be on the podcast uh young ring of honor star new japan pro wrestling star and uh, looking forward to talking to him i've known him since he was a four-year-old lad as his father would say uh in peachtree city georgia we grew up uh together and uh the week after that we are hoping for the mouth of the south jimmy hart uh if you have any questions for either David Finley or Jimmy Hart, be sure to hit me up on Twitter at David Penzer, 
or at Penza Ringside, and be sure to spread the word. Looking forward to uh, seeing you each and every week here doing what we do. And until next week, I'm David Penzer, still sitting at ringside. Thank you so much. Follow David Penzer on Twitter at David Penzer. Also, make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Penzer Ringside. You've been sitting ringside with David Penzer on Radio Influence. I'm Jerry Petock, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com.